hard to know what... Um, Laura and I have been talking about this to literally the last second. It's hard to know what is... Um, is the talk to give. Maybe we should just listen to this for an hour. <laughs> Listening to dancing wouldn't be so bad. I've been thinking about the theme of the practice period, meeting the world as Sangha, as a community, seems very appropriate to the moment, here together. And there's meeting the world as Sangha, but it's very difficult not to, it's impossible for me not to think about meeting the world as Sangha in this moment, in the world, as it is right now. which has been a difficult world for, it's been a difficult world forever. And, um, and the heat's been turned up recently. And the, the meeting the world, the Sangha, in that, in that time talking to people, folks have been struggling with being separate from each other. The people who I understand and I've heard are even struggling more are the ones who don't have communities that they're separated from. The ones who are lacking spiritual community completely. Really struggling. There's those of us who have spiritual communities and we felt a separation from each other. And there are those who don't have that. And what a crushing time this has been. And so it's, um, when, I, when I think of the words meaning the world is Sangha, what comes to mind is that there is no situation where I'm not at this point meeting the world as Sangha. I'm never not, even if I'm by myself doing something, at this point I'm never not Sangha. You're never not meeting the world as Sangha because I don't even know what it is to my great blessing. I don't even know what it is not to be in the world as Sangha anymore. That I know that there's a community, um, no matter how much we may struggle or be confused or not know the direction, I know that there is a community of people who have um, an aligned path that I'm in the world with. And then, and then what is it to... Um, and not only that, that, that there is a courage that I have that is because of the Sangha that there is a clarity that I have now because of the Sangha. The Sangha gave me that clarity. The Sangha has given me that courage. 
years and years and years of practice together has clarified confusion because of Sangha. Someone who was terribly afraid to even speak can do this now because of Sangha. So no matter what um, frustrations may arise or whatever it is over the years, every one of them folded into making me a communal being. A person who can't understand myself anymore as not a communal being. And that is many things, but it is powerful and freeing in the world. Even when we have no idea it's happening, even when we can't see it, even when it's not conscious for us or for our bodies, I was thinking about, and I gave a, I think I gave a, I know I gave a talk on this, but I think it was about three or four years ago, I talked about this one koan in the Book of Serenity. I think it's the ninth case, and it's often called Nanquan's cat. And, um, and most of you know it, but it's, there's this, and it kind of has to do with meeting, uh, with Sangha, and meeting the world as Sangha. There is this argument that's going on over this cat. And we don't know what the argument is, but we know this. It's the Eastern Hall arguing with the Western Hall. Now, the Eastern Hall is, the, the Western Hall and Eastern Hall in Chan monasteries and old Zen monasteries still are divided between um, different administrative roles. Oftentimes, those who are organized around the teachings and administering teaching and practice are one, and then the director and, and that kind of administration is in the other. So who knows, maybe the Tonto and director are leading a fight with each other. And, um, and we don't know what the argument over the cat is, whether no one wants to take care of the cat, whether the cat's in the zendo, you know, who, who knows what it is, but, um, but there's a fight. And they can't stop arguing and Nanquan, who's the abbot, comes up and picks up the cat. And this is a very difficult um, story for some folks. But he picks up the cat and he holds a knife to it. And he said, if, somebody, if, if you don't say something, the cat's going to die. And they don't. They all freeze. And the cat dies at the hand of the abbot. Which, of course, this is shocking because the abbot will have taken a vow not to kill. And then later, Zhao Zhou, who wasn't there, often our hero in these stories, Zhao Zhou shows up and he goes to the abbot's hall, it seems. And Nanquan's there. Nanquan tells him the story. And Zhao Zhou puts shoes on his head. And Nanquan, which, by the way, shoes on your head at that time was, a, um, was an expression of grief in Chinese culture. 
So Nanquan said, had you been there, you would have saved the cat. So there is this, you know, I, I, when I feel into this story, I feel into like, what was happening for Nanquan that he shows up? He's an abbot. He's supposed to be responsible for all these people training to be bodhisattvas. It's a Mahayana tradition. They're training to be bodhisattvas. They've taken precepts. They're in community together. And they can't stop fighting over a cat. They can't stop arguing over this. And Nanquan, we don't know what he's done. Maybe he's tried to talk to them. Maybe he's tried other things before he got all the way to a knife and a cat. But at that moment, he's communicating something to them very strong, which is, this is what's at stake. This life is at stake. And it seems extreme, but I think of us now, I think of myself, how many times in my life I was tuned out and it took something so significant for me to realize what was at stake. We're still, we have, our species may be threatened and it's difficult for us to, to actually take in what's at stake. We're kind of all bantering and arguing back and forth with each other. But as a group, if we were going to take the world as those monks, we're still arguing. It hasn't shot through us yet, collectively, what's at stake. And so there is this... um, Nankwan holds it up, but... and, And this is, you know, I... There, there are a few things that strike me think, feeling into my own life. One is um, the times in my life where I've been so attached to views that I wouldn't have been able to stop that argument. I couldn't have pulled out. They could have held a cat in front of me and I wouldn't have been able to pull out from my perspective. Clearly, Nankan is not interesting, interested in one of the sides winning he didn't say, let's figure out who has the most logical argument, and when we do, we'll decide what that is, and we'll go in that direction. That wasn't the concern. He could have arbitrated some sort of discussion that would have led to a direction, but he wasn't interested in the direction. He was interested in the argument that they couldn't stop. And so he held something up, and he said, this is what's at stake right now. Say something that isn't coming from your view. Anybody in the room, say something that isn't coming from your view. That isn't coming from an attachment to your view. Nobody could release their view. Nobody could release their view or and they were terrified. Locked onto our view and terrified. And so the whole room froze. Then comes Zhao Zhou. 
Zhao too was not interested in the sides. When, when the abbot said, told him what happened, Zhao didn't say, well, Shifu, you should have gone with the Eastern Hall. They had the better argument. That would have been the smart thing. He just put his, his, um, his shoes on his sandals on his head. He's coming from a different place. He was not coming from view. He was coming from his heart. He was coming from compassion in that moment. Compassion for what happened. But when I read this, the thing that always strikes me about this exchange between Zhaozhou and, and Nanquan is he said, had you been there, you would have saved the cat. So there's something about that grief that wasn't just the cat. Right? Because if you had done that there, you would have saved the cat. Well, the cat wouldn't have died yet. So what's the grief? And, you know, it's... Um, I think in that moment, Zhao shared with Nankan the grief that is humanity's grief. That is that we get caught in this. That we get caught in these dualistic views and we war with each other. And we can't see what's at stake. We just can't see it. Even if it's held right up in front of us, we can't see what's at stake. Or if we do see it, we don't know how to get out of it. We freeze from fear. We don't have the capacity to do what Zhaozhou did, which is drop into the grief of the entire situation, and from there comes the wisdom. Not the wisdom that comes from some view we have. And, and, and we do this. I mean, I catch myself all the time, which is I'm going to get to wisdom by clarifying my view more. And there are things we learn from that. I don't want to take away that it's important to clarify our conceptual views. They can be confused. But thinking that the clarification of our conceptual views leads us to a place where we can stand against everything else, clearer than everybody else, that's war. That's going to take the best of us to war. So Zhao drops into his... I don't even think he drops into his heart. He's just in his heart. He comes in, hears the story, his heart responds. His heart is the thing that thinks. His heart is that, that which knows what to do in that situation. He doesn't even go for a view, as far as we can tell. He doesn't even go for a view. His heart responds without views. And by freeing, being free from the views, and it's not that we don't have views. This isn't, I now have no views and I'm walking around this kind of blank mind. We have lots of views and we're going to have lots of views and the views are going to come up in response to the world in front of us. That's the view that's going to arise. The wonderful thing is, the wonderful possibility is that when it's coming from the heart, a view can arise from the heart in response to suffering. And, I, and it doesn't have to be my view. 
It doesn't have to be a view that says something about me. It's a view that's arising in response to suffering. In the same way that Jajo's response rose in response to something. And then it fell away and it was done. And what tends to happen, and we've probably all seen this in ourselves, is if I hold on to a view, I cannot be um, available. I'm not available. I'm not available to the world that's here. I'm not available to my Sangha. I'm not available to anything. I'm available to my view. That's the only thing I'm available to at that moment. And the cat dies. I have no idea what time it is. Oh, this is going to tell me. Okay. Um, Would, the email, would somebody just let me know when I have like five? Sure. Sure, that'd be good. And when am I supposed to stop? Okay. So I was thinking about the world piece of this, um, how this is kind of our world right now. <laughs> It feels like everybody, every single issue is cataclysmic at the moment. That institutions, social institutions we took for granted are crumbling. Hello, sweetie. Um. And, um, and we're fighting over whether they should stay or go, and which one should stay and go. And, and they all matter. I don't want to take away from any of that. This all matters a great deal. Because people are going to be harmed based on the decisions that are being made. So it is a cat with a knife. It is not some, we're not deciding what cookies to put out. There's a great deal at stake. And, um, and I think for me, Nankwan points to something really important. It's not to take things lightly. Actually, the opposite. You need to take this really seriously. So seriously that you stop with your views. So seriously that we give up. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, that we give up um, believing that our particular karmic unfolding is the way it needs to happen. Whatever ideas I have are the way it needs to happen. Right now, what this, what this and we've all talked about this, what this pandemic, I think, in some ways have, has driven into our bodies is we don't know where anything is going. We can't grab onto anything. It can be taken. Whatever we set our feet on can be. We know this. We've been training for this. 
you know, it can go like that, and it will go like that. And the next time you think our feet are solid, it will go like that, and it's going to keep going like that. But we've been told that, you know, as long as you have a good retirement fund and blah, 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 everything's going to be okay. But that's not what happens. It pulls out from under us. And so there is a, um, <laughs> it made me just wonder if just one monk would say, from, in this case, his heart, we don't know. Because I think if it, it, if it would have come from the heart, it would have been the response. We don't know what to do right now. To try to pull from an intellectual confidence how to respond at that moment isn't going to work out. For Zhaozhou to just drop into the heart of not knowing and simply grieve that's the thing that moved the world. That's the thing that moved the moment. I remember, I should have, I should have brought it with me, um, but um, some of you remember, and I won't be able to say it, but you'll know it if I point to it. Um, there was a, at the very be beginning of the pandemic, Zenju wrote this poem about being pushed into the ground, basically going all the way into the ground, into the earth, and not trying not to. And that that's what we were here, that's what we were to learn from this. I feel that's right. I feel that Zhaozhou was able to just feel the pain of that moment and not assert so that we don't do this with each other, that we don't um, end up like, you know, a, a sangha that is in a situation, and I'm not saying we are, but the, a sangha that's in a situation that those monastics are in are going to have real trouble meeting the rest of the world. They're going to be so caught up in the little things, all the little views, all the things that can happen that we wrestle over. And there's not a, um, and, and we have, we can have conversations, every conversation is a possibility of going the route of the monks or going the route of Zhaozhou. Every conversation we have is the opportunity to either get caught up in some argument of two people with views that are certain, or the heart that is broken over argument. The heart, it's not a heart that is like, oh, my heart's broken because my view, it didn't go the way of my view or it didn't go the way of somebody else's view. Although it might be because that view may have led to something better. So that may be part of the heartbreak. But, number one, we don't always know what's better. But two, there's a broader heartbreak that I think Zhao represents, which is the heartbreak of the fight itself. 
not not the side of the fight, but the fight. The heartbreak over the fight. To stop, to just let the fight stop. To let the fight with ourselves stop. To let the fight with each other stop. To let the fight with the world stop. To just let the fight stop. To finally put the sandals on our head and say, the fight can just stop. The fight to convince myself I'm a particular kind of person or the fight to convince other people I'm a particular kind of person. All of that. And just stop. And so, how do we do that, you know? We all know how to do it. <laughs> this part you all know, for sure, which is, you know, if we, if we look, Ian mentioned the paramitas, I guess, last week. And they're really good. They're really pretty good. Because the first thing they ask us to do, right, is be generous. We're asked to be generous with each other and with ourselves. Right away, this is a different way of being in the world than the arguing monks, right? To be generous with ourselves and each other. To be upright and follow the precepts with each other. To not slander each other, to not be sure we know who each other are. You know, all of the breaking of the precepts in some ways comes out of thinking we know who each other are. If we didn't actually, if we really knew with our hearts that every person I'm dealing with is a complete mystery and deeply connected to me, then breaking the precepts of that person would make no sense at all. It wouldn't even come up as a possibility because I would have to know that that person is somehow worthy of lying to or worthy of being slandered or whatever it is. If I'm breaking the precepts, then I know that I no long, that in that moment, I don't believe that that person is mystery and deeply connected to me and what I am. Otherwise, I would not break the precepts. The monks were not seeing each other in that way at that moment. And um, Molly made quite an art piece out of this. <laughs> the, um, and then patience. Patience is interesting because sometimes we feel like we've been patient enough. Usually when we're not patient, it's because there's some belief that we've been patient enough. And it may be, we may need to take a break. That may be a limitation, and we don't have patience in that moment. And that's understandable. We all run out of patience. And patience is limited. But when patience is limited, third paramita, when patience is limited, we cannot use our own limitations around patience as a justification for disparaging patience. Which is so easy to do. 
And then there's energy. Then there's the fourth one. There's having the energy to be um, with Sangha, meet the world as Sangha, be with ourselves and each other. I mean, we need the energy for the first three. We need the energy for generosity. We need it to, to, to uphold precepts and our moral behavior. We need energy for patience. And we need all three of those things. To, those three things create, cultivate the space for that energy to arise because we're not using up all of our energy on tracking all our unwholesome behavior, defending it, etc. All the stuff that we do when we're not actually aligned with each other in the world. When we're not, when we're still in battle with ourselves, when we're still fighting with who we are, when we're still fighting with each other. When that stops, when we stop then that energy arises. And then the fifth is, is samadhi, or concentration. I include in that, because samadhi in the old um, texts include, ten, it, it, in, in the threefold trading, it includes both concentration and mindfulness. So in that, in meditation, that includes concentration and mindfulness. You know, the, 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 the great thing that the Buddha figured out was our views, intentions, and behaviors run in an unconscious loop until we intervene. We have a view, gives rise to an intention, we act on it. If it's unconscious, it drives right back into the view and we loop. And that's just what we do. And then we identify with that loop and we say, this is me, and we defend it, and we, get, and, and we end up the monks fighting with each other. The thing that interrupts it in the Eightfold Path and the Threefold Training, what, un, what interrupts it is mindfulness and concentration that interrupts the loop. And we all know this, right? We sit zazen, we come to sashim, we sit and we get quiet, and we see the loop. We spend a great deal of time seeing the loop. And we get frustrated with the loop, we get bored with the loop, we're tired of the loop, the loop keeps happening. Right? And we're watching the loop over and over and over again. But we do eventually, actually, get bored with the loop. And that boredom is freeing. That moment when we can finally look at it and we're not fighting. We're not fighting with the loop, we're not disparaging ourselves. We're actually upholding the precepts when we're seeing the loop. When we're watching the karmic loop and we say, no, I'm going to uphold the precepts of the karmic loop. I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to be greedy with it. I'm not going to disparage myself or it. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to just be with that loop and see it with my heart. See it with Zhao Zhou's grief. See it with Zhao Zhou's heart and not fight over it. Then, when all those things happen, that's when the response, which is what Nankan the abbot wanted, which is the response, wisdom, prajna, that arises from the body in response to the pain of the world. It simply comes up, and it's there, and you don't have to think about it, and it's present. And that arises from the other five. 
and then feeds back into them again. And that work, I imagine, Jiaozhou did a lot of that work. And I'm sure on a good day, all the other monks have their, you know, same thing. They just had a bad day in that moment. But what is one of the most aligning things in my practice over the years for myself? And you have, many of you have heard me ask this in Doksa, is to really clearly determine what is at stake. What is at stake for ourselves? What is at stake in my life? What is at stake when I resist? What is at stake when I insist on separation? What is at stake when I don't know what to do? What is at stake when I'm confusing myself purposefully? All the times, whatever is going on in terms of my intention, what is at stake? And for that to not be something we think through, but something that comes up from our hearts. And it may not be anything that we think it is. But if we're going to meet the world in this time, and we're going to meet each other, and we're going to meet the world as Sangha, then at every level, whether it be ourselves and our bodies, whether it be our Sangha, whether it be our Sangha's response to the world, whether it be the world, in all of those, the human world, all of those ways, to um, maybe first to be silent and wait and see what arises and be clear on what is and then to come to each other from that place and build the capacity to see our views and let them fall away in such a way so that when the world is, when we are, when we come to each other, when we come to ourselves, to first maybe listen with grief. Maybe listen with heartbreak. When our voices raise, when we feel ourselves closing off, at that point, maybe listen with heartbreak. Can heartbreak be the response? In the way it was, in a way, for Nanquan, right? When, can, can it be the response to the fight, to the closing down, to the confidence that I know who, and who others and myself are, to all of that? Can the heartbreak be what's on the heels of all of that, and present with all of that, so that we can um, touch each other, meet each other, and then turn as a community toward the world. Because we're already turned toward the world. Even if we don't think we are, we're fully turned toward the world. We're fully turned toward each other, and we're fully turned toward the world. And the world needs Zhao right now. The Jaja that is all of us. I'll stop there.
Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.